Grace and peace to you from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. As I explained to the children earlier, I think the point, at least Matthew's point in this, in this lesson, is, is the, the, the explanation of the new law, God's law. It came from the discourse here in Matthew, the first of five, on the mountainside, just as the original law came to Moses from the mountain itself. We see God speaking now, not just to Moses, but to all of God's people here. And we become... Uh, aware that there's to be a new understanding of this law. What was once this mandate for obedience, now realize that that's impossible. And so the mandate here is much different. The mandate here is to love. The new law, the fact that we can only be obedient, we can only be perfect through Jesus Christ, will come to fruition in just a few short years for those who follow Jesus on his journey. And so we start this section, the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5, 6, and 7 in Matthew's Gospel. By the way, for those of you who, who know this, uh, in Luke, this is called the Sermon on the Plain. And, and there's, a, there's a thing in, in Christianity called apologetics. And I have to admit, I'm not a big a, a, a apologetics guy, because what that tries to do is explain everything. It says we can make this perfectly logical. And to me, if we make it perfectly logical, then we take away the modicum of faith, and aren't we saved by grace through faith? Anyway. But the point being, some would argue, well, pastor, there's not an inconsistency here because Jesus sat on the side of the mountain and the people were down in the plain. Right. I don't think so. But if you need to think that, that's fine. It doesn't matter as long as you hear the word. I think, truthfully, Jesus probably gave two sermons, don't you think? In his lifetime, he gave more than one sermon, I would hope. I mean, that's, you know, Aaron preaches regularly. I preach regularly. That's all I'm saying. Anyway. (laughs) This new law, this new law that comes is so contradictory to the world that it's, that it's frightening. The, the, the idea of turning the other cheek, the idea of, of, of praying for your enemies, these are things that are radically so different from the way the world would have us see things and do things. The fact that we would give to anyone who asks, oh my goodness gracious, that's frightening. You study that law of God, and then think about being disobedient the next time you pull to the bottom of the interstate, and there's a man or a woman standing there, and they have a little sign. And I don't know the answer to it, but I do know that I justify it when I don't give them something. I can't stop. Traffic is too busy. I'm only going to further their bad habits. They're going to run right off, and they're going to buy booze or drugs. Well, not much with what I'd give them, I'll tell you that. I'll give you a little experiment to try this new law, to do things without judging before we do it. And this is a benign way to start. During the Christmas season next year, anytime you see a red kettle, yes, every time you see a red kettle, put a dollar in. I'll bet not one of us misses a meal. I started that a couple of years ago when I started ringing bells for the Salvation Army during that season. Gave away a lot of dollars. Didn't miss one meal. Didn't, didn't miss a meeting. Didn't miss anything. Not even buying presents for Christmas. 
Interesting how God works, isn't it? Well, isn't that kind of the point of the Sermon on the Mount here? That he comes to us to say, look, there's a new way of doing things, and there are new laws to govern you. Listen to these laws. And as he begins this wonderful, this wonderful discourse, the first of the five in Matthew, he begins them with the Beatitudes. And we love these Beatitudes. Except I think sometimes we miss things with them, because the key with the Beatitude is that these are all declarations of blessedness. Now, now, sometimes some translations of the Bible have this happy rather than blessed, and that's fine, but it's not a complete understanding. I like the word blessed so much better because when I think of happy, I clearly think of things that are, that are that the feeling is generated by something external. And I think blessing is so much deeper, so much more than that. As a matter of fact, I think that sometimes we pollute what Jesus is saying. We miss the whole point of it because we look at a response and we, we want to accumulate these things like we, like we do what we think are our worldly blessings. Oh, I've been so blessed. I have a new car. It's wonderful. Volkswagen Passat, 2012. Not brand new, but new to me. Wonderful. Oh, I'm just so blessed with that. I was really blessed on a trip up to see my daughter in Northeast Ohio. I got 28 miles a gallon. Oh, really blessed with that. I was so blessed the other day because my dog didn't mess in the house. The dog, no, wait a minute here. <laughs> we have trivialized blessing like we have trivialized the word love in our vocabulary. To be blessed, to be blessed in a sense of scripture, is an ultimate sense of well-being to be in relationship with God because God gives us that relationship. I think the other things are good fortune. They're certainly wonderful. They're certainly lucky. They're fortunate. But when I really think about them, what does my automobile or my house or even the food on my table have to do with a blessing? Why should Will Saunders be blessed when somebody in Cameroon or Namibia or, or Libya or Syria or at the open church in downtown Columbus has to worry about their next meal. No. I think when Christ speaks of blessings, he speaks of things that challenge us, that push us, that open us. And when we look at these things, we come to understand that I think so often we actually miss the point of them and we try to accumulate the outcome and blessings are a declaration, what we have here in the Beatitudes are a declaration of blessedness, not an accumulation of things. Let's take a look. If you have your Bibles, open them to, to Matthew uh, 5. If you have your bulletins, if they're in there, go to Matthew 5 with me. Let's look at what we have here. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of God. When we read that, what we read is, oh, if I'm poor in spirit, I get the kingdom of God. That's my blessing. No, that's not what it says. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. They'll be comforted. We've all lost someone near and dear to us. Parents, children, grand, grandchildren, beloved pets. And we are comforted by one another and by God. But the blessing is that we mourn. 
Because in the depth of that mourning, we come to understand how helpless we are. Just as in the depth of being poor in spirit, we recognize truly who we are and who God is. Take a look, if you will, at the confession that we took this morning. This is so vital. As a matter of fact, I would contend that the confessional, perhaps the most overlooked part of the service, it it prepares us for the meal. And yet when you say, what's the most important part of your church? Well, certainly the holy meal. Well, the scriptures are important. The sermon once in a while is even worth listening to. No. The confession, because it is the confession that, that starts our relationship here, and it is this that Jesus uses to start his, understand, start his disciples to understand the blessedness. In this time of bitter cold temperatures, we confess the bitterness of sin in our lives. We build ourselves up at the expense of others. We rely on our own efforts to make our lives secure. This, my friends, the beginning of our worship is not unlike the beginning of the Beatitudes. This sets up for everything else that indeed those who truly understand that they are helpless in the the eye of God. We are lost save for Christ who came to save us. These are our blessings. Blessed are the meek. It doesn't mean weak or cowardly. It means loving. One who is humble enough. Meek, not weak. One who is strong enough to pray for an enemy. You know what I think of this? I think of this every time I read in a dispatch or see on the news another Amish person who was taking a little buggy and horse down the road and somebody in a car hit him. They don't think of litigation. They don't think of, they don't think of getting even. They think of forgiveness. And I don't know if I could do that. Thank God I've never had to be challenged with that. But think about what that means in our life. The woman Helen, who was raising two little girls, they were both under two years of age, Youngstown, Ohio, and her husband was crossing the street and he was hit by a drunken driver and killed. This young girl with her two little babies is left alone. And yet, you see, there was no retribution, there was no litigation. And when asked about this years later, the woman simply replied, no, no, that poor man had to live with that the rest of his life. Wasn't that enough? That, you see, is what it means to be meek. It's a disposition before God, a disposition of humility, a disposition of dependence. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. That's verse 8. I love that one. The pure in heart. What does it really mean to be truly pure in heart? That's a tough one, I think. I don't know. Pure in heart. Luther helps us a little bit. We're going we're to challenge you today. All right. Uh, how, many, how many here took catechism when you were younger? 
Huh? Good. Okay, great. All right. How many here had to learn the Ten Commandments when you were younger? How many here still know them all? <laughs> yeah, I'm seeing, eh, maybe, more or less, yeah. Yeah, I understand. That's kind of like how many of you keep them all? Well, maybe, you know. <laughs> Seven or eight's pretty good, isn't it, Pastor? Well, I don't know. No, no. Eighth commandment. Eighth commandment's the one that, the first one people always forget. Now, I'm not going to ask you to tell me the Eighth Commandment, and Pastor Aaron and I promised each other we wouldn't do that either in front of everybody, and I have my notes, so we're good. Eighth Commandment, thou shalt not bear false witness against your neighbor. Now, we can justify that and say, well, Pastor, that just means in court that I'm not going to go in and tell a lie about my neighbor. No. Luther's explanation, and here's the real rub. How many remember memorizing Luther's explanations? Don't raise your hand. I don't want to embarrass all of us. Luther's explanation said that we should always, in every circumstance, think and speak well of our neighbor and even make excuses for them. He didn't say it that way. He said, explain away what they've done positively. How hard is that? How hard is that? We see that all the time. Oh, my goodness, they're up in food stamps again. Which those people get a job, for heaven's sakes. Got news for you. I've been going and volunteering at the food pantry in Freeba Street for 30 years. Most of those people have jobs. But they can't feed their families and buy their medicine, pay their heating bills. Ah, look at that bum at the end of the, end of the highway there. I don't know how many of you have ever been in war. I haven't. I don't know the Holocaust of war. I don't know what it does to one's mind and very being. But I have a son who is a career military and has been in three war zones. It was interesting. He's the one who came to speak to a catechism class one year because they were complaining about memorizing scripture. Because in one of those war zones, they were not allowed to have a Bible because it was in a country that didn't allow that. And so they couldn't even have church, although I think this is interesting. They did have morale sessions. Isn't that what church is? There you go. I have a son-in-law who's been in two or three war zones. They can understand why somebody's at the foot of the exit ramp. It's not our call to judge. This new law says that we speak well of them. We defend them in the most positive possible way. The pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Turn the other cheek. Pray for your enemies. Give more than is asked. These are all part of this new law that Jesus unfolds in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. So this week, as your teacher, as your rabbi, up in my mountain here, you in your plane, look closely at this passage and you will see that our blessedness, our blessedness is our struggle. Not the fruits of it. Not to expect and demand that God do these things because we've done others. 
Okay, God, here we go. I've been mourning. You comfort me. I've been meek today. Right. I've been meek today. Give me the earth. No. Our blessedness is in our struggle because when we are weak, we are strong. That's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. We come to understand the beauty of the new law is the admission that we cannot be obedient except for the blood of Christ. And that we who stand before God, disobedient as we are, are seen as pure and whole. Today, when you share this body and this blood, think about that. Think about your struggles, and truly you will recognize your blessings, for God is with us at all times and in all places. The very first psalm says it this way, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. But that man's delight is in the law of the Lord, and his law he meditates day and night. Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2. Remember four simple words, and you have the law of God made so simple. Love God and love one another. In the midst of your struggles, love God and love one another. You will find you are blessed.